And let us pray. O Lord, you know what it is to suffer, to be crucified, to die, be buried, and to descend. Be with us and for us through all that is dead in dying, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And please be seated. We are currently in a sermon series titled Animating Images. This series is attempting to recapture ancient Christian imagination by engaging in the Apostles' Creed. However, to be clear, rather than using the Creed to explicate faith that must be believed or else, always or else, this series is inviting us to consider creedal statements as icons that rouse imagination and animate our lives by divine love. In the early church, the Apostles' Creed was used as a catechism that helped to prepare Christians for baptism throughout the season of Easter. And so, for millennia, people have engaged this creed throughout Lent as a way to more deeply ponder the life of Christ. So far, we've covered God, Father, Almighty, Creator, and a first phrase about Jesus, which is Christ, Son, Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. This morning, we'll consider the second of three phrases about Jesus, which includes these words, suffered, crucified, dead, buried, and descended. It's an interesting turn in the creed, if you think about it. God, Father, Almighty, Creator, and then Jesus, Christ, Son, Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. I mean, up to this point, this is a creed, this is the creed that, that has us expecting everything that we want from the divine. Almighty, Creator, Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. I mean, so far, this creed is nothing less than spectacular. And for following the creed carefully, we may even begin to assume what's coming next. I imagine something like, and then God crushed all of his enemies, ascended to heaven, and governed a human utopia on earth. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? It would certainly be divine. But here's an important question, which is, would that be human? Would it be human? I mean, don't get me wrong, this has very often been the dream of humans. Divine favor, crush enemies, human utopia on earth. But the problem is that it never seems to work. Power and violence seem to only lead to more and more power and violence. The, the cycle just spins and spins in ever-increasing circles. And so, seemingly out of nowhere, this creed takes a turn from the glorious and the splendid to the very human. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. And suddenly, this creed feels less divine and a whole lot more human, doesn't it? In fact, this part of the creed reads more like a dirge than a creed. And this makes me want to ask, what do you imagine God looks like? I've asked this before, and I think it's an important exercise. Like, if you were to close your eyes and picture God, what would you see? So just for a moment, let's just, let's just try that. Close your eyes and what is the, would, God, <laughs> ultimate reality. You close your eyes and what is it that you see in your mind's eyes? 
I'd be curious to hear about what you saw. Honestly, I think because of my conditioning about divinity and, and God, I see a Greek-like God. Maybe it's Zeus. Maybe it's Santa Claus. <laughs> it could just be a very white Jesus like the one on my grandma's nightstand. And he's standing on a cloud and he's looking strong and he's looking powerful and he's looking as though he is in absolute control. That's often the picture that I see of God. Moving beyond our own imaginations, we have biblical accounts of God. One that comes to mind quickly for me is Moses, who we're told saw God in Exodus chapter 33. Do you remember that story? Moses really wanted to see God with his very own eyes. And as the story goes, it was in God's heart to let it happen. However, because God was so holy and powerful, Moses, we're told, had to hide in a cleft in a rock while the divine passed by. And Moses was able to look at God's back, not the front, only the back, because the front of God, the face of God, would have been too much for the human Moses to bear. And that's God, more often than not, right? God is other, God as beyond, God as above our small, finite human lives, so full of suffering and death, until, as already mentioned, the creed takes a wild turn and we find ourselves reading, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. Uh, could we pull up the slide here? Here are two works of art by Rembrandt. I believe they're actually both called Descent from the Cross. Uh, any art scholars can send me an email to correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> On the left, there are a few men working hard to free Jesus' dead body from the cross. Around Jesus at the foot of the cross are what appears to be men from different socioeconomic backgrounds. There are the poor and destitute there on the right. A few of them are even kneeling. And then there's that proud rich man a little bit in the forefront to the left. And they're all looking at this scene before their eyes. They're all pondering this human moment that we all know, which is suffering and death and descent. And besides the fact that Jesus is way too white in the painting on the right, I, I really appreciate the crowd there. Similar to the work on the left, a few men are working hard to free Jesus' dead body from the cross. But, but that's where the similarities end for this, in this painting, uh, because in this painting around Jesus at the foot of the cross are what appears to be not just men, but, but all kinds of people, men and women, rich and poor, people from all over the world almost, it seems. And there's a mixture of response on the people's faces. If you were to look close enough, there's fear, concern, bewilderment. There's even a, a woman over there on the right who seems to have passed out. There's tenderness and exhaustion and sorrow. Honestly, what we're seeing in these paintings is many of the human emotions that rise in moments of suffering and death. As we gather around crosses and dead bodies in our lives and in this world. And this makes me want to ask, what does this mean? Like, what does Jesus' suffering and dying and being buried and descending mean? What is its point? Well, to answer this question, we enter into the land of theology which studies the nature of God in religious belief. And about Jesus' suffering, dying, and being buried and descending, the Bible and church history tell us that it means a whole bunch of things. 
So I'll just highlight a few central ideas. Here's one. Jesus' death is somehow, it somehow is becoming this world's life. Somehow Jesus' death is becoming this world's life. That's from Romans chapter 5. And here's another idea. Jesus' death is a defeat. It's a loss that somehow ushers in God's new kingdom in this world. That's the point of the Gospel of Mark. And here's another idea. Jesus' death is the inauguration of a new dispensation, a new era in history. That's what we find in the books of Luke and Acts. And here's another idea. Jesus' death is a sacrifice that dissolves the entire sacrificial system. It just undoes the entire thing. That's from Hebrews. And here's another idea. Jesus' death is the work of a self-giving lamb around which all of humankind peacefully gathers in love. That's from Revelation. I especially appreciate some of the thoughts by the early church theologians. Uh, Here's an example from second century theologian Irenaeus, who writes, He did not reject human nature or exalt himself above it. Becoming an infant among infants, he sanctified infants. Becoming a child among children, he sanctified those having his age. Becoming a young adult among young adults, he was an example for young adults and sanctified them to the Lord. Lastly, he came even to death so that he might be the firstborn from the dead. And although Irenaeus didn't use the word representation, that's exactly what he's talking about here. Uh, Several weeks ago in a sermon, I referred to the importance of representation. And I referred to an article by Anna Christina Ramon, who's the assistant director of the Bunk Center, which is a center for African-American studies at UCLA. In the article, Ramon states something profound and very important about representation. She writes, what you see, like what we see, not just in our daily lives, but on TV, in the magazines that we read, on the websites that we visit, what we see often becomes a part of our memory and thus a part of our life experience. What we often see becomes a part of our memory and thus a part of our life experience. Now, several weeks ago when I spoke about representation, I was talking about the importance of every single person in this world be able to see themselves in God around a table at which every person belongs. This morning, the notion of representation shifts just a bit, for we are seeing God as being represented in human suffering and death. God is being represented as present and experiencing human suffering and death. And that is a primary reason for why Jesus' suffering, dying, being buried, and descending is so important. I mean, we all want the first part of the creed. We all want power and might and miraculous birth stories and marvelous, successful gods. We all want that. This idea has certainly been part of American Christianity, a big, strong, powerful God and kingdom of God spreading out and crushing every other person and thought about God in the world. But here's the thing. A story that is all about divine power and might A story that's all about miracles and marvelous success is not common among humans. 
And if we live in that place with that perception of divinity, then it can become problematic for us. For a God who is all power and might and miracles and marvelous success can be nothing more than other, apart from us, above us, outside of us, calling us, always calling us to be more successful and to live life more marvelously, which becomes then a cycle that never ends. Because human life is never all power and might and miracles and marvelous living. It just isn't. For every single one of us, life involves suffering and dying and being buried. Now, for a moment, will you look again at Rembrandt's works? You see Jesus, dead, lumped like a, like a sack of potatoes in the arms of this man who's trying to carry him down the latter. To use Christian language, can you see God in this picture? God being revealed to us through the life and death of Christ. Pearl Church, this is an important picture for us to look hard at and to stare long at. Yes, true, God, Father, Almighty, Creator. Yes, true, Jesus Christ, Son, Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, but also profoundly also this Jesus suffered, was crucified, died, buried, and descended. And suddenly I'm no longer alone in my experience of suffering and death because I can see my mom in these pictures of the divine. Like that's her being carried down off of that cross. That's her. After dying of cancer on October 13th of 2015, we gathered around her body like that painting on the right full of sorrow and horror and bewilderment and tenderness. Asking again and again, what does this all mean? And since you're all human, and since you're all in relationship with other humans, I'm guessing that each of you has known at least one person who has suffered and died and been buried and descended. You see, that is also them here in these paintings. And I guess another way that you could say it is that there is God. There's a picture of God in every person who has suffered, died, and been buried. That is what we're seeing. Fourth century theologian Gregory of Nyssa writes, The birth makes the death necessary. He who decided to share our humanity had to experience all that belongs to our nature. Now human life is encompassed within two limits. And if he had passed through one, birth, and not the other, death, he would only have half fulfilled his purpose. Our whole nature, humankind's entire nature, that includes birth, life, and death, our whole nature had to be brought back from death. Thus he stooped down to our dead body, stretched out a hand as it were to the one who lay prostrate before him. Isn't that beautiful? Gregory of Nyssa is saying that there was no other way for God to appreciate. I love that language. For God to appreciate the fullness of our humanity without fully experiencing all that is human. Which must, if it is to be truly human, involve suffering and death. Now, I know that we have a human propensity to move as quickly as possible past suffering and death to resurrection. And we'll get there. That's also in the creed and it's coming soon. But it is good. And as we're learning this morning, godly. 
It is godly to pause here with this picture in our minds. Over the last two years, we've heard more about death, I think, than in any other season of our lives. Wouldn't that be true? COVID deaths, climate change deaths, violence against people of color and AAPI deaths, migrant deaths, queer deaths, Ukrainian deaths, death. It has been all around us. And these paintings on the screens, well, they remind us that God is not far away, outside, up there, aloof uh, to human suffering and to the experiences that we're all having. These pictures in this creed remind us that God is in indivisibly part of our suffering and experiences of death today. And like the people in the crowd, I believe that this creed is teaching us that God is crying with us and maybe even wondering with us and aching with us and breaking with us. Why? Well, experience has a way of moving the soul, doesn't it? Experience has the way, a way of moving the soul. Several years ago, a dear friend of mine got divorced, and it was a tumultuous divorce, and it broke his heart, and it broke his ex-wife's heart, and it broke their kids' hearts, and it broke their family and friends' hearts. It just broke them. And I remember several months later getting together with him and, and asking him how he's doing, and he said, you know, I'm starting to do a little bit better, honestly, but something that I've noticed is that this experience for me has changed something in me. Like, before I went through this divorce, I would hear of people getting divorced, and in my mind it was just, oh, another person is getting divorced, or, you know, this relationship just didn't work. But now I hear the words divorce, and it triggers in me all of my own pain, and all of my own brokenness, and it rouses in me a compassion that I never had when I used to hear the word divorce. With that in mind, I'd like to say, thank God that Jesus suffered. Thank God that Jesus died. For in suffering and death, we can now see God in our lives here on earth. More so, in suffering and death, we can trust in a divinity whose soul, whose own soul has been moved by its own human experience of death. So that when God is aware of our death, there's this moment, there's an actual moment in human history where God's own heart broke. Therefore, we can rest into the arms of divine love that has been marked by love's own suffering, by divinity who cries and aches and breaks with every person who suffers, which is all of us. And with these pictures in mind and this portion of the creed deeply woven into our hearts, let us pray. Oh Lord, you know what it is to suffer, to be crucified, to die, to be buried and to descend. Be with us and for us through all that is dead and dying. And as opposed to seeing you aloof and far away from us, may we see you near to us and maybe even present in the death that is all around us today.